This week's episode of Props is being brought to you by Hakes Americana and Collectibles. Americana's first and most diversified collectibles auction house, specializing in sports memorabilia, comic books, original art, toys, and more. Currently up for auction at Hakes.com is the Paul Manchuski Baseball Button Collection, over 400 pinbacks from the MLB team, and featuring many Hall of Fame members including Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Satchel Page, and more. The auction closes on May 22nd, so go get your bids in now at Hakes.com. I have just created something totally illogical. That's what I like about If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? You didn't say. I hate it when that happens. Me too. Who's your invoices? Ray is. <laughs> I think I know what if you build it, he will come means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing? Daddy, there's a man up there on your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. Hi. You couldn't see it. This is really interesting. You believed in the magic. It happened. Isn't that enough? Annie, it's more than that. I feel it as strongly as I've ever felt anything in my life. There's a reason. Go the distance. Did you hear the voice, too? Did you hear it? Go the distance. Yes. Our grave is dead. He died in 1972. Are you Moonlight Graham? No one's called me Moonlight Graham in 50 years. Unbelievable. It's more than that. It's perfect. You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, and you sit here and you stare at nothing. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. Hey, is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. Field of Dreams. And we are back. I am Eric. He is John. This is the Props Podcast, and this week it's brought to you by Hakes Americana and Collectibles Auction, which has got a great auction going on right now, closes on the 22nd. We'll get into more of that later. But now it's time for a deep dive into Field of Dreams. What's up, man? Dude, I am so excited because sometimes we do these movies, and uh, I've seen them recently or I've seen parts of them recently. But with Field of Dreams, I feel like I've seen it a million times, but the times that I've sat through it start to finish, it's been a long time. And this one was so much better, even than the little pieces I remember having seen it probably 50 different times on cable. Uh, completely agree. It, this was a great movie, sitting through it again, watching it for the first time almost, because I hadn't seen it in probably 10 years. But yeah. I, it was, so it, it, a, lot of what, a lot of what I thought I remembered was different. Yeah. And so this was cool. Well, the beauty of this one was, and we did, uh, we did the natural earlier, and we com- kind of compared the two because they're both kind of 
paranormal-ish kind of you know folklore type tales. And uh, one of the issues that we had with the natural still being a classic, which is what we were debating, was the pace of the movie felt very much like a forget an '80s movie. It felt like a very dated pace for just the storytelling in the movie. And what surprised me pleasantly about Field of Dreams was that all the highlights of I, that I remember this movie were quick. Sure. You, you get in, and we'll get into it later, but like the if you build it, he will come thing is five minutes into the movie. And for some reason, I always thought it was later, but then all the classic scenes as you go through, it's like a murderer's row of great scenes. It just keeps going until the end. There's no dead spots. Yeah, there's, the, the pacing for this movie was definitely not an issue. So completely... Uh, helped helped the whole process along as as we go along from you know, if you build it he will come to to the very end when when you know we'll get to the end later but yeah. it it's a great pace it's awesome so we'll uh, so 1989 mm-hmm. is the uh, year this movie came out the tagline is uh, pretty good we always rate the taglines here this is what was on top of the uh, the movie poster so the movie poster for those listening was. Basically a picture of uh, Kevin Costner with the uh, field in the background, or at least on some of the posters, it was just pictures of a kind of cornfield in the background. Uh, But the tagline is, all his life, Ray Kinsella was searching for his dreams. Then one day, his dreams came searching for him. (laughs) That is uh, special. Special. Accurate. special. (laughs) Uh, The movie was based on the book by W.P. Kinsella. The uh, fun fact about that is the book is actually called Shoeless Joe. And the uh, audience, the test audiences for the movie, did not like Shoeless Joe because the people who were not familiar with baseball, <laughs> baseball <laughs> thought it was about a hobo. Oh, no. Uh, thought it was about a homeless person, so they weren't really understanding what it was uh, about. Then uh, Kinsella himself uh, ended up consenting to, doing, to using the title Field of Dreams because one of his backup titles was called The Dream Field. Okay. So when the studio came up with the Field of Dreams, they were into it. So luckily they, they squared that away. Uh, the movie made $84.4 million in 1989. So that's a big hit. Uh, not really a lot of special effects. I mean, the, the guys kind of drifting into the cornfield, I guess, was sort of a, a fade, which maybe back then counted as one. But everything else was real time. I mean, they made the field, so that was real. And then uh, there really weren't any other issues where they would have probably needed too many uh, CGI type of things. So not a bad take for, uh, for Field of Dreams. So no real need for special effects, and it did plenty well at the box office. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's good stuff. I mean, almost $100 million with just a really great, heartwarming story is mm-hmm. pretty good, especially for back then when it was kind of at the very beginning of those early 90s movies that had all kinds of, uh, we'll say, dinosaurs and those kind of things like The Abyss and all that kind of stuff that came out. So I think uh, a success, a big hit, a big hit at the box office, and even so as we move forward into the you know, nostalgia for the movie itself, but at the time it was considered a hit and it was considered a, uh, considered a success for sure. So let's talk about the cast, man. This was uh, this yes. is this is all you, buddy. So who who's in this? So you got, you know, Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. but he's not really Kevin Costner yet. Not yet, right? He's coming off of uh, the Untouchables, big movie for him with Sean Connery, and then the movie right before this is actually Bull Durham. Um, that was his star turn, and the studio was really concerned that he was going to do baseball and then baseball, but he believed this was his sort of it's a wonderful life type role, and he was not going to give it up. And so that was one of the things that I think forced him to kind of keep his hat in the ring when he was trying to do the movie. So for him, the back-to-back sort of, I guess there was a movie in the middle there, but The Untouchables, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Trifecta, 
catapulted him into the eventual, you know, Dances with Wolves Oscar level type stuff. So big, big run for uh, for K-Man. Don't forget, he also did Waterworld and The Postman. <laughs> yeah, interesting fact here. So I uh, will insert myself briefly in here because I interned my first year out in L.A. with the uh, production company that made Waterworld, mm. uh, known worldwide and, and in the industry as a huge bomb, cost 100-something million dollars or whatever to make. The production company and the production team will tell you there is that worldwide that movie made a lot of money. So it was considered a joke and considered you know, uh, complete lost and waste of, of, of resources, and it was a bomb, but uh, made made its money back and then some handsomely with the worldwide market. Well, good for them. <laughs> yeah. that, that movie was horrible. But yeah, so he's known for that. So I thought I, I let that know. I never, rarely do I have a tie to any movie we ever mentioned, sure. but I, I happen to work for a place way back then. So up next in terms of, uh, you know, James Earl Jones was already a legend when this came out. Voice Darth Vader, I don't know, 50 roles before that uh, that you could name. So he was already big time. This was Ray Liotta's breakout role. He'd done a lot of TV, mm-hmm. uh, some small parts of movies. This was a big, big move for him. And then as uh, far as I'm concerned, this was Amy Madigan's finest year as an actress with Field of Dreams and Uncle Buck. Uh, (laughs) A double header that you can't really beat as far as I'm concerned. So those were the the heavies in this particular movie. And, you know, beyond that, there's not really anybody here that you're Mm going to know name-wise. It was really carried on, well, obviously, it was carried on the shoulders of Kevin Costner and and James Earl Jones. Yeah. And Ray Liotta, who... Who's never seen the film? So, yeah, yeah we should uh, say that. So, Ray Liotta, there's an internet rumor, and maybe you know, oh, it's we, true. It's confirmed. We didn't. Uh, it's true. Okay, it's confirmed. It, it, he, that he, he hasn't seen it. Okay, he was um, he was on Colin Cowherd. He was on the Colin Cowherd, and uh, Colin asked him, you know, if it was true, and yeah, it's true. He's never seen the film. So okay, because he tie, he ties it with some personal. He, yeah, he ties his personal tragedy. His okay. mother was sick, and he he didn't get to see it. And listening to that interview, he did not understand. He didn't see he said he didn't see the big picture yeah. of what it was going to be. He thought it was a cheesy hokey movie. He said the script was silly. Yeah. But Kevin Costner was doing it. Right. So, he wasn't going to turn it down exactly. because Kevin Costner was coming off Bull Durham and he wanted to And Costner was right about the actual age he was playing in, in this 36 right. and so uh, the idea that a guy like Ray Liotta would have this be a breakout role uh, for him and not really buy into the story is kind of funny to me because it's so it could be even 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 James Will Jones, and we'll get into some of the lines later. But even some of you know his speeches in the movie could be you know perceived as hokey, right? Uh, but the audience buys in. There's really no you know you could be snarky if you want, I guess, in a few spots. But you really you kind of can't because the movie takes itself so seriously. But Amy Madigan is so all in on supporting her husband and right. what's going on that you end up watching this movie. You're into it so quickly. Um, all it takes to me is when. And we'll get into kind of the, the movie part of it now, you know, I guess in terms of what the movie, the, the pace of the movie and how it picked up and where it kind of sits in our hearts. So the first time you see the movie, I remember the first time I saw the movie in the theater, you hear the voice. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's nuts. He asks his wife, do you hear that? No, no, no. Once, the vo- once you buy that the voice is real to him, it's real. Right. I don't know how it works. I don't know why. It's just a scene and there's a voice coming from the theater anywhere but from the screen. If you build it. And you're in. The, the score, that light. Dude. You're right. Did that happen with you the first time you saw it? Do you remember? So I did I did not see this in the theater. In uh, 1989, okay. I was eight years old. The first time I saw this was actually its original run on VHS. And I was down at my uncle's 
f- uh, for like a, a week's vacation during the summer, and he was at work, so I had the run of the run of the house to myself basically, and he rented this for me, and I watched it in a high rise apartment building in Houston, Texas, nice. for the first time by myself. So, one, I was real, I was just coming into collecting baseball cards at that time. And I had no concept about who Shoeless Joe Jackson was or, uh, you know, eight, the eight-man-out guys. Or anything. I didn't know any of that. Mm. All I knew is this was a sports movie, and I get to watch it by myself, and I don't have to be bothered <laughs> by anybody. So it sucked me in almost immediately. It didn't even take the voice. Like, yeah. It well, just, it has, yeah, it has a Cracker Jack yeah. card. It opens, the, the movie opens with uh, the voiceover, mm-hmm. and then the Cracker Jack collecting cards of Babe Ruth, Lou right. Gehrig, and then they... Insert the you know the the, the graphic version of, of Roy of um, what's his name Ray Liotta yeah, playing Shoeless yeah, Joe Jackson right. on the car. But yeah, if you're into collecting, especially as a kid, I was I was uh, 11 when it came out. But you're like, okay, cards, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And uh, he tells he starts telling a story about his dad, mm-hmm. White Sox fan, come of age right after the scandal. Then they move to Brooklyn, so he becomes you know a Dodgers fan. But the you know. Costner, his character in the mm-hmm. movie, becomes a Yankees fan, of course. Uh, and then they kind of just flash forward, and they talk about his dad's love of Shoeless Joe and all right. this kind of stuff. And we thought, you know, I, I did this, so I'll save everybody doing it. But, I, of course, I went on Baseball Reference really fast. Of course. And, I, and just for the record, because, you know, it's hard to remember, but Shoeless Joe Jackson's lifetime average was three fifty six. Amazing. He hit four oh eight in 1911, uh, and he had a year where he had 26 triples. Uh, and he was top, I didn't know that. top 10 MVP voting four years in a row from like 1910 to 1914. So we're not talking about the myth of, you know, oh, because of the Shoeless Joe thing. Legitimate top five player in baseball in his time. And until recently, like, wasn't prevalent on cards at all. Mm-hmm. So that chase of that Joe Jackson was was pretty cool. Yeah. Hell of a baseball player, and it, it made a great backdrop for the film. It really did. And like I said, the book was called Shoeless Joe, right. um, and that was kind of cool about it. And then when you realize what the the father, you know, what the, what Shoeless Joe meant to Kevin Costner's dad, mm-hmm. then what that whole entire storyline means to him, because he says he never, you know, he says that line where I never forgave my dad for getting old. His dad, right. he went to Berkeley. His dad was obviously like a very conservative guy. Mm-hmm. He's out there in the in the sixties in the hippie movement and all these kind of things. And so you're caught up in like three minutes of movie time. You basically know this guy's life. Mm-hmm. He's married. He bought a farm out of nowhere. Like he's up for the challenge. And then you're hit with it, right? If you build it, he will come. Yes. And it's like, what <laughs> in the world is this movie? And he talks to his wife and he hears it. And then what the thing that happens is she basically says to him, like, okay, if you hear this and you want to build it, you think it's a field? Like you think that's what you're supposed to do? Okay. Right. I mean, what an amazing, you know. What an amazing woman, right? What an amazing right? woman. Yeah. That's a ridiculous conversation to have. Then there's a winter, like time passes, and he's got to be thinking in real life, in his real life of the time frame, what? Right. What do I Because like, he had like high school kids playing baseball there. It was just, I have this really cool field in Iowa that nobody's playing with. And it's snowing, and they what, plowed into their crop, which they I don't know the, the pro- numbers yeah. on that. And plus, they show him a few times in the field with like a, a hoe and some like I don't know if he's putting in things. What I don't know farming, <laughs> but I would love it if somebody listening who's farms or maybe lives in Iowa could tell me what exactly he was. It looked like he was just tinkering. You know, my <laughs> my grandfather was was known to go out into the field and tinker a little while, okay. just so he didn't like he. I I remember watching him like. Well, how's he out there? You know, what's he mm-hmm. doing? He basically just didn't want to be around my grandmother at the point in time. So he was just right. out in the field 
digging stuff up. Yeah, they show him stuff, just yeah. kind of poking around, and he's he's frustrating with one stock yeah. out of like four hundred million that are out there. Uh, but you know, you get the feel he's sweating and stuff out there, and then. Um, they're about to kind of give up on what this thing is, and, and the movie does their beats really, really well. Right. Ray Liotta shows up, right? Shoeless Joe shows up, and he goes out there, and uh, he says, can you pitch? That, that, that so great. is another one that just like, whoa, right there, sucks you right in. Yeah. And he just wants to hit the ball for the first time in forever, right? This is the, my favorite line, and we go into quotes later, but it's perfect now, is the... Uh, you know, Kevin Costner, Kinsella is so excited. He gets on the pitcher's mound, brings the bag of balls, and uh, he says, don't we need a catcher? Yeah. And Shoeless Joe says, not, not if you, you get, get near the plate, plate, you don't. <laughs> and I was like, dude. And then, of course, you know, you got to give Costner credit who, you know, we've talked about it. You know, other people have talked about it in terms of his starring in these movies. He, he could pitch. Right. He's an athlete. Right. Looks good. Right. He has no glove on the mound, which is a little sp- Stupid right. when you're facing like one of the greatest hitters of all time. Like all it takes is him to just smoke one back at you. Uh, but he has no glove on the mound. But he basically throws probably like fifty to hundred pitches with the family watching. And um, man, Shoeless Joe just smokes all of them. He he is rightfully antsy. Like yeah, you know he's a little jittery. Yeah. But when you're standing at the you know <laughs> on the mound, staring down one of the greatest hitters in all yeah. of baseball. Yeah. With no glove, you should be jittery. I just right? kept thinking, like, just get a glove. There's a whole. He left all the equipment there, which is like kudos to Costner for or Kinsella. I keep saying, for Kinsella for building the field and then like deciding, well, if we have a field, someone's going to play. Right. I might as well get a bag of balls, a bunch of bats, some old gloves, and just leave them out here. I don't know what he was waiting for, but obviously when, when uh, Shoeless Joe comes out, they they do all that, and uh, man, he's just. It's just one of those movie moments that first catch and his, you know, the the wife daughter come out. You realize he can't cross the field mm-hmm. for some reason. As a viewer, you're like, yeah, of course that makes sense. Yeah, yeah totally. Crosses sense. the field, what he blows up or he, he dies. <laughs> like okay, and then he runs he runs back, and then we hear uh, he's his pain. Yeah. Right, like it's just right on the heels of these big moments, and it's so great. And I who's think, pain? Yeah, who who's pain? <laughs> and uh, then they have the they go to the town hall meeting, the censoring and. It just all ties, for some reason, it's all random events. Like, who cares that it's a town hall meeting on censorship and all right. this stuff? But that's all tied together, and he has to go find uh, Terrence Mann. I've never seen someone as fiery about finding an author in their life as yeah. uh, or, or protective of Terrence Mann. Um, boy, she was pissed. <laughs> she killed That scene is her whole movie. Oh, because, yeah. Because, like, she's already proven that she's kind of, kind of kooky. You're right. A little spunky. She's yeah. spunky. She's very energetic. She kind of buys into this whole thing. Totally supportive wife and on this ridiculous endeavor that he's got. Then she stands up. Not only says she, she throws a couple like haymaker mm. insults at the, right. at the woman, calls her like a cow, you Nazi cow. You Nazi cow, yes. Comes out of there like fist pumped and whatever, and he just throws immediately from her moment of like triumph. Mm-hmm. And she thinks, she's like, I stopped censorship. This is what we were put on this earth to do. He's like, I got to go to Boston. Yeah. And meet the author who you just said is that famous and whatever. And then that moment where he's like, she says no. The best thing the movie this the best thing this movie does is right on the cusp of failure, they give him success. So right. he says, I gotta do this. She's like, absolutely not. And then he goes, I have to, I have to go to Fenway Park. I don't know why, something's gonna happen there. And she's like, Is Fenway the one with the green monster? And he's uh-huh. like, Yeah. And she goes, I had a dream you were there last night. And they had the same dream. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. They they tore it in. They tied it in very well together. 
Uh, also want to mention here, since we're talking about this scene, her shadow boxing in the hallway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she slides into the locker yes. and it's <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, the, the way they... What are the coincidences? Oh, I understand it's in the script, but what right. are the coincidences that they, they both have the same dream? Yeah, and they're like, "Yeah, you've got to go." And, and he's like, he, "They don't even say they have to go." Like he points to the to the attic and they go. And then the second time where they do the thing where like right on the cusp of failure, uh, he gets successes. He goes to see. He, he drives to, to Boston, mm-hmm. finds Terrence Mann, knocks on the door, gets kicked out two or three times. Yeah, finally gets in there. Get, he sits down, he, he, he convinces him to give him a minute to talk after he pretends to have a gun in his pocket and all that kind of stuff. And then he starts to tell him the story about, I knew you all, you, know, you were really upset about Ebbets Field and you never got to see a game there. And J.L. Jones goes, I don't even remember, call, I don't recall that. Yeah. I don't even recall thinking that. <laughs> and like you think Costner's rehearsed this, like now's his moment. And in, the, in, the, in your brain, the movie goes, I did, you know, you know, Terrence Mann says, I did think that, and you're right. And I do want to, I do regret that. But it just hits him like a ton of bricks and he doesn't. And it kind of gives Ray, it gives Kinsella the opening to be like, just, this is how crazy I am. Like, nothing's working. Just come with me to this game. And they right. go. I have a gun. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you, you have, have a, a finger. Gun. I'll beat you where you stand. <laughs> just great moments. And then at the game, they do it again where he's like, you saw something or you heard something again. He's like, I did. And then he's, what it say? And he goes, this man's taking up enough of your time. Yeah. He does the U-turn in the van. Boom. There he is. Moonlight Graham. Yeah, that's... Uh, so now not only the wife is seeing it, but Terrence is seeing it, too. And now <sighs> so we're great. all on board. And then we go for the hunt for Moonlight Graham. Yeah, and they go through. And again, they basically strike out. Mm-hmm. They're him and... And by the way, this road trip, I mean, we're... We're talking like four days in the car, right? Like Kevin Costner and Ter- and uh, James Earl Jones, whatever in their real lives. The only thing they have in common is Kinsella showed up at his door, and they both <laughs> kind of like baseball, right? But they're spending four days in the car in a, in a van together, presumably like sharing hotel rooms and showering and eating and all these meals. So, who knows what we you know we talk about? And one of the things I think is awesome here, I think you'll agree, this is one of the sort of nostalgic kind of sweet mo- mo- things about this movie is. No one's Googling anything. The right. answers aren't, Siri, where did Moonlight Graham play? It's all real legwork. They're doing like microfiche in the library. They're interviewing people who might have known him back in the day. They're reading old newspapers. Like there's something about the old school sleuthing of getting to know the city and ans- answering and interviewing your way around town. Uh, that's really, really cool. And I think that had this movie even something like this nowadays, it's not really as exciting. They'd be like, I Googled him. Here's the GPS. Siri mm-hmm. said it's here. Oh, this is all the information we would ever need about this character. We don't have to go. Here's the Google house of the video. You know, I think there's something very old school about the hunt that they were on. When when they finally, when all that comes together and back to Moonlight Graham, and they, they, they see him as an older man, and he's got to get home to his wife, that, that like that's touching to me. You know, he, he, he loves baseball, and you can see it in his eyes that he wants to, he wants to go. But at this point in his life, his love for his wife is more important in getting back to her and bringing her this hat. Yes. Yeah. So you think, you know, for me and my nine-year-old brain, oh, it's over. And then the next day they pick him up hitchhiking. Yeah. That's awesome. Just, there's so many lines. There's a great line in it when he first, again, he strikes out <clears throat> and he says, I can't come with you. And he's like, but who wouldn't give a chance for that five minutes? And he says, the real tragedy would have been if I was only a doctor for five minutes. 
lines. Right. And you just like, God, they didn't, there was no, there was no lazy lines in this movie. Like, None at all. Yeah. And that's what I think got me is that every time, you know, those are the little lines I didn't remember having seen it. And those are the scenes where it's on cable. You kind of flip through that or you might flip around and not stay around for that particular scene. But it's not one of those things where each character comes in because they mean something to Costner. Like their whole backstory all makes sense inside of this story. And then, you know, when you fast forward a little bit to the final kind of final-ish scene where right. James Earl Jones' famous speech. They will come. It makes sense for James Earl Jones. It makes sense for, for, for Terrence Mann too. Sure. Like, and that's what's so beautiful about it. It makes sense for Terrence Mann. It makes sense for his family. It kind of overcomes what the brother-in-law was saying. Like, everybody happens, everything that happens there makes sense for the characters, not just because it was supposed to happen to make the movie move forward. So when Terrence Mann is saying, you know, people will come, you know. Right, right. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. That whole thing is like, he has that line of, um, I, I think I wish I wrote it down, where the, the memories will be so thick they'll have to wipe them away with their faces. Right. It's the whole movie. I mean, it's just it earned, it's just it's as good seeing that this time as it was the very first time that I saw. It. So you bring that up, and I'm reminded of the 2015 Major League Baseball opening day uh, spot that they ran, and it was Mike Trout and you know this mm-hmm. this cascade of players quoting Terrence Mann, and it was beautiful then. It was beautiful when the first time I saw it, and it was beautiful this time as he he lays out. The whole future for the family. Yeah. And he knows partly that he can't be a part of it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children. Like right. every line there, and it's right when they're basically like, sell this or you'll be broke and your family will be on the street. Yes. And there's no lot, I mean, the movie's not logical, but there's no reason within that time frame that, that, that Kinsella would be like, sure. But the speech is incredible. It's an all timer. Yes, and, yes. and it's an all time movie speech, it's an all time great speech. And it kind of, it, very few times, and he, you're waiting for him because you hear the whole movie how eloquent, brilliant writer, brilliant man, right. leader of his time. But he hadn't, he had a few good one-liners, sure, and a few you know eloquent lines. But he was building towards this. The character was building towards yes. this. He needed this in his life just as much as Kinsella did. The audience needs that sort of. It's not even a bow tie. It's just it's a true ending to a movie. Yes. Um, and it doesn't even come off as exposition. It feels like what he would say because mm-hmm. he's been shut out of society for. 30, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. He hadn't published a word. And it's like all this stuff just comes pouring out of his mouth as if it's written directly from the, you know, the literature right. gods, right? <laughs> it's just fantastic. And, and that, that scene, um, it's just it, it, you get to the point where it's so earned by as an audience mm-hmm. and he nails it. The actor nails it. The writing nails it. Then the score nails it. Right. And then the cars come. Yes. And you're like, okay, this movie's reaching levels that we didn't <laughs> know it was going to go to for a movie about a fake yeah. Bunch of fake players and fake field, and the whole movie's a leap of faith. It is. And the second you're in, it just keeps getting better and better. That's right. All right, let's talk about the athleticism of the uh, of the guys. We've already discussed yeah. Costner a little bit. What so you- did you did you find this too? I was looking at some research, and it looks like it's uh, also panned out. So Leota is a righty. Yeah. Has to play a lefty in Shoeless Joe, and apparently spent a lot of time with a professional baseball coach. And was never 100% happy with his swing and wasn't convinced that the director was happy with his swing, but they went forward with it. Mm -hmm. And apparently to this day, though having not seen the movie, regrets that he didn't master. Because Shoeless Joe, the the baseball circles, Babe Ruth copied Shoeless Joe's swing. Like that's how beautiful of a swing he had. Right. And that he couldn't do the the picture-perfect swing, so they were always doing cuts of the swing. Um, Costner could pitch. There's not too much other athleticism, you know, in terms of good or bad. I mean, the the entire group of the the White Sox that are playing 
have that old school, you know, small glove, short arm motion. Right. Um, Leota has a couple of decent stabs in the outfield in the, in, in the early going, but there's nothing really to nitpick. It's not like, you know, the movie's carried by, you know, like we've talked about with Berenger's awful swing or some mm-hmm. of these other things in Major League. So uh, in that particular area, the, the main thing is the Sueless Joe, the classic Sueless Joe swing, um, and he, you know, he openly admits to not mastering it. How about you? You know, there wasn't much athleticism to uh, critique here, as you yeah. just mentioned, you know, but I think Ray Liotta did it pretty well, and especially not for not seeing the film <laughs> you know he, he did he did pretty good i was more impressed with uh costner pitching yeah and he you know he, after this he becomes like a baseball go-to guy right you know yeah. with for the love of the game and you know bull durham and all those other baseball yeah. themed films he's in i think he did really well and he pulled it off very nicely yeah you could you know you could and there's always like the goofy, like the cynical, snarky part of me. Sure. It's like, okay, so Costner hasn't pl- pitched, he hasn't pitched probably at any kind of speed or right. any level for 15, 20 years. We don't know he's a good athlete. And he gets on the mound and he's just like slinging strikes to, uh, to Shoeless Joe. But that, you know, that doesn't really matter. I mean, he, 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 he delivers the pitches that, that Shoeless Joe needed that made, you know, that sure. they needed. They're apparently major league level. And by the way, no catcher. Yeah, I'm, I don't pitch. I never have been a good pitcher. I, right. I did a few times in the league, but I imagine not having a catcher is a little bit confusing. Sure. Speaking of catch, the catch scene with his dad as the movie is ending, perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. So I, I saw online again. This may or may not be proven, but it's one of those fun things that the actor uh, they they had they got a glove from that era to use. Sure. That would a dad maybe use in the early and and he was really concerned that he wasn't going to be able to catch the ball because he could barely close mm-hmm, on it. Right. And he was terrified that they were going to have all these takes and it wasn't going to look natural, and they ended up looking mm-hmm. fine. But, um, but, yeah, the movie opens on the voiceover about his dad, mm-hmm. and he was turning into his dad, and there's like seven subplots, and they each one ends perfectly, and that is, like you said, it's perfect. It's a, it's a nut. Like, you get Terrence, Terrence Mann gets his ending. Right. The family gets their ending. Right. Baseball kind of gets its ending because it really was sort of a, you know, and then... Again, you know, he gets his own personal perfect ending. So this is just another movie on this podcast that we're I think we're both in love with and it's the it's the first one I've seen. I think Major League when we when we did it, I enjoyed it on a more adult level, but that happened to me a while back. Right. Where like more of the jokes made more sense because the first time I watched it I was like in high school or something. This one, you know, and maybe it's because I'm a dad now, and maybe that helps that you have, you know, I have a, you know, almost seven year old and five year old, and you sure. kind of envision these moments, and you want to have that positive impression um, on your kids and things that they share with you. It actually, it was always high on my list, but it moved up. It, it moved up for me too. Uh, what we got to do, we've actually forgot, so I'm gonna go back and do it. Uh, is the the awards? Yes. So not a bad showing here, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Seven wins and 13 nominations. That's kind of big, right? Oscar, best pitcher. Uh, these are, yeah, all right. So best Nominees. pitcher. Uh, Academy Awards USA 1990, best pitcher. This is not a nominee. This is a, oh, all right, nominee, all right. Nominee, best pitcher. Best writing, screenplay based on a material from another medium, and best music. James Horner uh, was nominated there. The 2020 Awards in 2010. These was, hmm. This is from 2010. Nominee. Felix, best... Oh, what is that there for? That's not even the right movie. Best Adapted Screenplay. Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, 1991. <laughs> Nominee, Saturn Award, Best Writing. That's kind of funny that it would, it would line the, yeah. lay in there, right? 
American Cinema Editors uh, nominee, Best Edited Feature Film. Awards of the Japanese uh, Academy. A winner, Award of the Japanese Academy, Best Foreign Film. This is our third Best Foreign Film. A lot of these Japanese sports movies. Japanese, apparently, they love the baseball movies from America because they all win their uh, Best Foreign Film Award. Uh, Blue Ribbon Award winner, Best Foreign Language Film. So that's two for this one. Casting Society of America nominee, Best Casting for a Future Film. That's funny because like, it's just the three people, right, or four but people. But you know what? They had to nail the two parts. Costner yeah. and Mann, mm-hmm. and right. they did, right. and the whole movie's on the backs of those two guys, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. Chicago Film Critics Association Award nominee, Best Supporting Actress, Amy Madigan, as you as you uh, pointed out earlier, great great 1989. Yes. Uh, Directors Guild of America nominee, Outstanding D- Directorial Achievement in a Motion Picture. Hmm. Grammy Awards nominee, Best Album of Original Instrumental Background Score. Yeah. The Ho Chi Film Awards winner, Best Foreign Language Film. That's three Best Foreign Language Films. Worldwide, this uh, was a big hit. Big hit. Uh, Hugo Awards nominee, Best Dramatic Presentation. Uh, the Cinema Junpo, Junpo Awards hmm. uh, winner, Reader's Choice Award, Best Foreign Language Film. That's four. National Board of Review winner, uh, Top Ten Films. National Film Presentation Award. I'm sorry, Preservation Award winner, National Film Registry, National Film Reservation. Preservation Reward winner. Writers Guild of America nominee, best screenplay based on material from another medium. And finally, winner, Young Artist Award, best young actress supporting role in a motion picture, Gabby Hoffman. Yeah. I mean, the, the score, make, there's so many parts of it you could say make the movie, this mm-hmm. makes the movie, but all those things make sense. I mean, it was a book, so the adapted screenplay, like we said, there were no throwaway lines. I mean, whoever did that w- was terrific. And then the score and the act, I mean... I don't know. I'm I'm all for putting it as any kind of uh, in any kind of best picture discussion. I mean, maybe now the scope doesn't possibly hold up uh, as sure. it were, but uh, but it's 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 it fires on every cylinder you kind of want a sports movie to fire on. Right, I, I agree. Memorabilia wise, okay. Here we go. I got three things. Well, how many do you have? I have like enough. So you, you do your three. Go sure. Ahead. Okay. Yeah. I would love one of the fake Terrence Mann books. Yeah. Um. You know, obviously an author, so that would be cool. Uh, a fake Terrence Mann book signed by James Earl Jones would be at the top of the list of things that I would want. Okay. Uh, again, I had mentioned, maybe because I read about the John Kinsella's catcher's mitt that he was using. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind that mitt. Sure. You know, the, the, the mitt from the catch that he had with his dad, that's pretty, that's pretty out there. Uh, this is kind of more an ironic thing, but uh, one of Shoeless Joe's shoes. Yeah. I mean, what is that <laughs> right, in right. your desk there? That's Shoeless Joe's shoe. That's, right. That's why he's still shoeless. And then my honorable mention would be uh, Leota's bat from the first, from the very first time he's uh, the BP out there. That was my first one. I wanted Leota's bat because uh, if it's actually Shoeless Joe, you know, I, yeah. want, I want that bat, right? Yeah. I want one of those balls that he hit into the cornfield. Where did those balls go? It's true. Did they, did they disappear? I also <laughs> wonder if he was, like, really hitting these. I mean, with, or, or at, when they went to get the cutaway shots. They mm-hmm. had someone standing like on second base and someone behind him just like throwing balls so they landed in landed <laughs> into <out>. the cornfield. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, kind of big, maybe not considered memorabilia. I want that John Deere tractor that was out there because those oh, things okay. are not cheap. That's not bad. Yeah, okay. That's good. <laughs> and then Practical uh, and memorabilia. Exactly. Okay. And then um, something from that Red Sox game, like a ticket stub or – you know, yeah, and it's such the old, you know, it, so it came out in '89, so they probably filmed in '87, '88. I mean, yeah, 
I'm a Red Sox fan for those who don't know listening, but that is the quintessential old school Fenway. I, I, the years we lived there and went to games, it was in the mid-80s, late-80s. And so um, just the bear monster, the mm-hmm. old school kind of jumbotron up there in right field, the Sitco sign with the the you know cascading orange. It, that was, it just brought me back to the games that I, would, I used to go to. And, uh, yeah, they go, they get the hot dog and a beer. Right. And, yeah, maybe there's a program. He does have a – you know, what would be cool from that is he has the scorecard that he's putting that he writes Moonlight Graham and all that stuff on. Right, right. If it's the actual score – I mean, because they went to a game. They, they, they filmed it at a game. So I wonder uh, if you yeah. can hold that scorecard somewhere. Probably. Costner has it on his desk at home. This is a good time to, remember, uh, to remind you that this uh, episode is being brought to you by Hakes Americana Collectibles. They have a great baseball auction going on right now, actually, that closes – on May 22nd, go to uh, www.hakes.com and check it out there. All right, so I did some research about what's out there and available. Uh, again, Hollywood memorabilia, this is a go-to place for for what's out there, right? But they're really pricey on their on their autographs. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. This is like this particular one that I'm going to read you right here. Uh, James Earl Jones, official Major League signed baseball. From the, It's not from the movie. It's just a JSA. That's offic- it? Yeah. Six hundred and twenty nine dollars. That's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe unless he what he signed one. Yeah, exactly. If he signed one, I can see. But plus, he, he's still yeah. Yeah, he's still living. He's this, this Hollywood memorabilia is just full of pictures like and, and autographs like that. There's the one that I really like. It's a uh, it's Costner pitching to uh, Ray Liotta, and it's just he's in the windup. Mm-hmm. I like that one. But again, three hundred dollars for that. It seems just the photo? Yeah, just the photo. It's autographed. It's got a PSA oh, DNA okay. on it. But it's just that just seems like a lot of money for something that you could probably It's just a movie sell, right? It's yeah. still. So yeah, I guess so. I mean, unless they only did one signing of these all together and that was it. Right. That's true. But I don't I don't think that the, that's the case. Yeah. Um there wasn't actually a whole bunch on uh eBay to be found. Mm-hmm. There was the and it, this brings up a cool little story here. But in 2013, Leaf, our friend Brian Gray over there, had uh, Mystique's, Leaf Mystique, Field of Dreams. And they had, uh, well, this particular one right now is a Matthew Perry cornstalk card from Friends. Well, well, it's Matthew Perry at the Field of Dreams in Mm -hmm. front of the cornstalk, and they have a piece of the cornstalk memorabilia in it. Oh, cool. So uh, that's that's up right now. You can go uh, hit the buy it now on that for $45 if you'd like to. But uh, I want to share a quick story here about the Field of Dreams and Leaf, they ran a special uh, promotional giveaway around 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in a like, a, like a blaster box you would buy at Walmart or Target or something like that. That's where you had to pick them up, the entry cor- forms. And the guy, the guy that won was here, he was here in Texas. He was, mm-hmm. uh, I think he was like in the Waco area. Won it. And his prize was was he was going to go with Brian Gray mm-hmm. and the Leaf team to the Field of Dreams in Iowa for their for their charity uh, for their charity softball game. Mm-hmm. And guy gets all set up to go and everything, and he he he, he misses the plane. Well, Brian's trying to call him, can't get a hold of him, so he misses playing. He he he's got a charity baseball game. He's going to play ball with. With Pete Rose and Wade Boggs and you know just yeah. names of names of names, yeah. right? Turns out two weeks later he didn't miss his plane. He just didn't want to go. He was afraid to fly. Oh my god! So he tur- he literally turned down this 
once in a lifetime opportunity because he didn't want to fly. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, also uh, mentioned, I know you, we got to wrap this up here, but you can go to field, fieldofdreamsmoviesite.com and you can buy all kinds of memorabilia there like the, or, you know, Field of Dreams related stuff. It's, it's a whole website. You can go to the Field of Dreams today and check it out. It's a lot of fun. All right. Um, Field of Dreams rated on IMDb, seven and a half. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, okay, that's fine. It's probably higher, but, you know, you have to factor in baseball fans Mm -hmm. and whatever else. And on the tomato meter, an 86%. Yeah, I mean, that's about what you're going to get. It's it's not – it is a sports movie. It is. So certain people who just aren't going to get that nostalgia or the feel for sports, that's the, uh, you know, whatever, 10.3%. Exactly. Everybody else, uh, the smart people all love it. All right. Uh, Is it a a classic? 100%. The definition of. Uh, 100% agree with you. All right, guys. uh, That's it for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next week is our final baseball-themed movie props. And we're going to go with uh, Bull Durham, another Kevin Costner movie. Yeah, we got this was our second James Earl Jones, his little uh, yeah. appearance in the Sandlot. And then we will be uh, doubling up with uh, Costner. Yeah. And, you know, in season two, who knows? Maybe we'll get for love of the game in there. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for all the ratings and reviews you guys are doing. We had a lot of international on the, on the natural. John actually read the book and said uh, we might be wrong. So that's. Uh... Yeah, we'll do like a, sub, <laughs> a special pod for listeners. For those who want to, hit us up on uh, email or Twitter and uh, maybe we'll do a 10 minutes. For those of you who don't want to read the book, I can tell you uh, there's a vast difference in plot and uh, character and all kinds of stuff. So if, if you want me to do that, well, let us know and we can maybe do a quick 10 minute pod on the differences between the book and the movie of The Natural. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out this week. And uh, until next week, play ball.